You've selected a show from the Podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. This episode of No Love Lost is brought to you by FredHeBakes.com. That's FredHeBakes.com. Folks, if you're looking to treat yourself to some delicious baked goods, head on over to FredHeBakes.com and use the coupon code NOLOVELOST to get yourself some delicious summer baked treats. And if you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, head on over to the Podcast Jukebox Network and get yourself some No Love Lost t-shirts and Crazy About Kurt t-shirts. Thank you so, so much again for all of your patience. I know these remote recording ones uh, take a little longer. Uh, <laughs> and as a result, um, it takes a, it takes me a longer time to, to get them up. So just thank you so much for your patience and for sticking with us. We really appreciate it and we really appreciate you. So thank you again. And on that note, Michelle, if you would be so kind. Let's go to the island. I would like to see the polar bears. There was a crash, and there are others, and there are numbers, and it all means something supposedly. But even though there are times we hang our heads in sadness, we know. We had to go back. But, Will, you promised me this season we were going to be looking forward. Why are we going back all of a sudden? We have to go back to look forward. Don't you understand? (laughs) Oddly enough, yeah, actually. (laughs) That made a lot of sense. Welcome back to No Love Lost, the podcast where we talk about, believe it or not, The TV show Lost. I don't believe you. I'm Will Link, and with me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we are here to talk about Season 4, Episode 2, Confirmed Dead. Bum-bum-bum. The episode is written by our favorite, Drew Goddard. Oh, shit! I didn't realize this was a Drew Goddard joint. I wasn't paying attention to the credits. It's written by Drew Goddard and Brian K. Vaughn, and is directed by Stephen Williams, he of the not-quite-Jack-Bender-but-almost-as-many-episodes-as-Jack-Bender. <laughs> uh, this... that, that makes a lot of sense. This, this, this episode is a good one. I, I I won't say it's like my favorite lost episode, but for what it sets out to do, I think it kind of knocks it out of the park. It's a solid episode, and I think it sets up a lot of good things, including this is our introduction to uh, the freighter folk, the other spinoff characters on Lost. <laughs> Just sit right back in a, and you'll hear a tale. <laughs> the people on the boat, yeah. Yeah. The freighter folk. And, um, yeah, we're introduced to a lot of new characters in this episode. And I think, uh, honestly, I'm a big fan of all their introductions. Yeah, uh, this was a really good way to introduce all these different characters. And I look at these introductions a lot differently than I did at the time, I think, of this episode's original airing. Because I think when this episode initially aired, getting introduced to all these people, 
I think I found it to be a little exhausting because I'm like, oh, now who are all these guys, man? <laughs> like, these are more people we're going to have to keep track of. Um, uh, especially after, you know, Charlie died. <laughs> it's still been a very short amount of time since Charlie died. And now we've got, like, five other characters to keep track of. Well, it says a lot about Charlie that uh, to replace him, you needed four new people on the island. <laughs> That's fair. Um, although, like I said, that was when I was first watching this show. And season four was when I really started to get fatigued with the pacing of the show. And honestly, maybe if season three hadn't spent so much time spinning its wheels, um, I wouldn't have felt fatigued at this point. But season four was when I really started to feel like, okay, like... How much longer is this show going to get drawn out? I don't feel that way this time around. Um, And I think that's because all of the pressure of like, are we going to solve all these mysteries is, you know, all that pressure's gone. We don't, I don't have to worry about it upon a second viewing, you know? The other reason you don't have a problem with it now is because uh, you realize that it's actually good. This episode is. <laughs> You're, Will, Will, when Lost is good, it's great. But when Lost is bad, it's really, really bad. And I feel like at some point this season, we are going to go full on carnival of crazy. Um, I, 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 maybe it's not season four, but like definitely season five. I just feel like things are going to go full bonkers and I'm going to be like, oh, that, oh yeah, that's right. That's why I hate this show. (laughs) And that's what I'm dreading going into this season. But so far we've got two pretty solid episodes. So who knows? Maybe my memory is wrong. (laughs) Well, uh, we should get into it. Megan, do you want to do that thing you do? Yes, I'll do that thing I do. If for whatever reason this is your first episode of our podcast, No Love Lost, just as a heads up, we could potentially spoil everything about this series for you. Our discussion isn't necessarily only going to encompass this episode. We could talk about spoilers from any given point during the series. So this is your official spoiler warning. You have been warned. So this episode doesn't have necessarily the traditional structure. So I'm going to, I'm going to play this a little looser, Megan. I'm going to toggle between the two storylines that are going on on the island. And when we hit the characters, the new characters, I'm going to, we'll, we will discuss their flashback introduction. What do you think about that? I will follow wherever you lead my friend. Uh, I like I I think I mean so we're gonna go through things chronologically then as it's presented in the uh, episode right I, kind of kind maybe? of I think I think I'm gonna separate out the Jack story and the Locke story a little bit but it, more chronologically than we normally go totally works for me you'll you'll figure it out you know why because you watch <laughs> the episode and you listening at home will also figure it out because you've also watched the episode. <laughs> And if you haven't, this none of this will make sense anyway. And if you haven't, we appreciate you listening just to hear our lovely voices. I like to think that there's a subset of people who just, they put this on to go to sleep too. Aw, if we could be someone's ASMR, that would be delightful. If 
if my voice is someone's ASMR, <laughs> that is, I mean, that is shocking. <laughs> um, I, I will say, if you are a fan of our podcast and you're actually not going through a rewatch of the show, hit us up on Twitter at No Love Lost Pod. So, the episode basically save the little flashback picks up where we left off where there's a helicopter crash and this time we're inside the helicopter so the helicopter's going crazy people are panicking inside and 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 someone jumps or kind of more falls out of the helicopter while getting ready to jump and this is daniel faraday everyone I mean, favorite physicist honest. He was tossed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Miles grabbed him and yeeted him out of the helicopter. Well, you know, Faraday's the kind of guy who needs a push in a situation like that. I think Daniel is the kind of guy that needs a push in a lot of situations. But he's, uh, we don't know this yet, but he is a very brilliant physicist. Yeah, yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, his storyline uh, throughout the course of this series heavily revolves around that of Desmond. Yes, they're they're very much connected. And, uh, you know, Jeremy Davies plays him. He's an actor I've always liked, and he, he specializes in playing people who are a little, you know, they're a little off. Like a little, there's something up about them. Like they're not quite, the, they don't quite function in a normal society. Let's put it that way. I mean, he is by far the most socially awkward character I think we've ever seen on this show. And we've had some awkward social interactions. But I, I think Daniel Faraday is by far the most socially awkward. Jeremy Davies, most people probably remember him from uh, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, which he's one of the guys in that, and he's the one who, uh, you know, he's sc- he's the one who's scared. He's the one who hides under the stairs rather than, you know, kill the Nazi. Um, ah. So he lands there, and Jack and Kate approach him, and he immediately turns and says, are you Jack? And Jack's like, yeah. And he goes, I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> now... Let's talk a little bit about Daniel Faraday a little bit more. When we first see Daniel Faraday, it is in his introductory flashback. And what is he doing? He is watching the wreckage of Flight 815 off the coast of Bali. And he is uh, he's in his home in Massachusetts watching this, and he begins crying. And a woman off camera says why like like what's wrong and he's like i don't know but there is something that is important to him about this wreckage there's something that he recognizes as important to him and this is where you know a big old question mark should be appearing above everybody's head because it's like okay we know that lost uh has dabbled in um in sort of 
in sort of playing around with whether or not certain people have certain abilities. So it's like, is this guy kind of like Clear Rivers in Final Destination, where it's like she she can't see premonitions like other characters within the franchise, but she can feel them. Like she has some sort of psychic connection with uh, the people who do have premonitions. So it's like, is he getting a premonition about something or... Uh, does he have like some sort of psychic connection to somebody who's there? Like maybe Walt question mark. Um, but what, what this is actually doing, it's not that Daniel Faraday has any sort of um, like powers or, or anything like that. At least not that I remember what this is doing is actually laying some groundwork for the effects of time travel. And even though I will ultimately hate the way time travel is treated um, in this show in the long run, I actually think that having a character have an emotional reaction to something because of the effects of time travel without them being aware of why, I actually think that's a pretty good plot device. And so I'm not like, it's one of those things where it's like, I still don't know how, like after the constant how I'm going to feel about time travel in general in this show but as an isolated thing I think him having this very visceral emotional reaction and not understanding why is actually a really good plot device and I might come to eat my words later <laughs> <laughs> well he has this reaction and then we see him back on the island Jack and Kate and he wants to call the freighter but he doesn't have his uh, his phone, his stat phone. But, you know, uh, Jack and Kate do. And they give him the phone. And there's this little moment of like, did Naomi really cover for us? She covered for us, right? She, we <laughs> heard her. There's this moment of, of that when he's on the phone. Because the man on the, George voiced by Fisher Stevens on the other side of the phone is a little like, Hey, don't put me on speaker with those people. <laughs> Speaking of true Goddard, it is literally right out of cabin in the woods. Am I on speakerphone? That's rude. I don't know who the, who's in the room. <laughs> Drew Goddard loves that. Uh, loves that speakerphone gag. <laughs> Marty, what happens next? <laughs> <laughs> So he basically, um, they decide, uh, you know, he makes this call and he said, look, we're going to, we're going to track the different people. We all have these transponders. We're going to track all the other people who are on the chopper with me. And that's what we're going to do. So they start marching off looking for Miles, Miles' transponder. On the way, things get a little suspicious. They find a a uh, a a crate that had fallen off the chopper, filled with like gas masks and hazmat suits. I and mean, if if Daniel's behavior wasn't already a red flag, this is a big old banner. <laughs> but but you know what's funny about his behavior being a red flag? Like we immediately get the sense that this guy is a socially awkward person to begin with. And again, like, and maybe part, I, I, I think 
Jeremy Davies would pop up a little bit more back in the 2000s and things. And I think like he was an actor who, when you saw him, you expected somebody to be a little like awkward. So he got typecast a lot is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. And I think that you honestly don't know. Like, I think because like, is he suspicious or is he just like a little off? I think that's fair. Um, the music definitely plays it as like this is an uncertain situation. Um, but yeah, I feel like no matter what uh, their intentions were, I feel like no matter what, he would have been awkward in this moment. Even if they weren't, as he puts it in a bit, even though like even if like rescuing them was their primary objective, I feel like he would still be awkward. <laughs> So, what happens is, um, yeah, he says that line. He says, rescuing you wasn't necessarily a primary objective. Jack, though, also is questioning him hard about things that I don't think really an explanation is needed. Like, why do you have that gun? Everybody on this island's carrying a gun at this point. Like, what are you talking about, Jack? Calm down. He got a he landed on an island full of strange people and the person who went there before is most likely dead. I think it's fair to him be carrying a gun for protection. You're you're going into a potentially hostile situation? Yeah, no, that it wouldn't seem so far-fetched to me. Although if I will say that if I did like if I was getting rescued, and somebody who said, I'm here to rescue you, like turned around and I saw a gun casually stuffed into the to the back of their pants, I would have some questions. I would be like, well, if like you're a professional, like wouldn't you like if you if you have that gun in an official capacity, like wouldn't you have a holster for it or something? Or I don't know. It just it seems real sketchy to keep it tucked into your pants. <laughs> So I, guess I would that's probably fair. have some questions too. <laughs> also, like how many and granted, their situation is very unique. Um and as far as Jack and Kate are concerned, like this is a private a privately owned freighter that like Penny sent out to try to like rescue Desmond and everything like that. So it's not like they're working as police, but again, how many rescue workers do you typically see carrying firearms? Yeah, not, I guess not many. Yeah. But again, it is kind of fair. This is a very odd situation. This Island's odd. So on the one hand, I could see justification for it. On the other hand, if I was in Jack and Kate's shoes, I'd be like, uh, Hey, Danny, a uh, question. <laughs> well, they make a w- their way to find Miles. And Miles, from his fall out of the helicopter, he is passed out on the rocks. Um, however, from a mile away, you can tell he's hiding something behind his back. <laughs> right? I mean... From miles away? Uh, ah, I did unintended. <laughs> but sure it was. <laughs> but um I mean, but you can. And it's like the way he's lying there and Jack's going over there to see if he's okay. It's pretty and, telegraphed, but it's it's fine. <laughs> yeah. And 
of course, Miles jumps up with a gun, pulls a gun on him. Now let's talk. I love, I love his attitude though. He's like, surprise. <laughs> like he really did pull a fast one. It's just like, okay, yeah, obviously it worked on Jack, but like you didn't fool anybody in the audience, man. <laughs> you know, speaking of attitude, Miles is the character of all these, these new people with like the most attitude. He is, he's, he's cynical, he's angry, he's, you know, I mean, he's the one who seems the most like, oh, maybe this guy's a bad dude, we don't know. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, I think out of all of the freighter folks, I think, honestly, if I'm remembering correctly, he's the most interesting character or at least out of all of them he was the one I was most interested in seeing his character development and maybe that's just because Sawyer got to a certain place at the end of season three with his character arc that we needed kind of another bad boy out there but a a bad boy in like a very different way than yeah He's very Sawyer-like in that regard, in that he's got like a simmering anger and animosity going on that he, you know, sometimes expresses with uh, sarcastic quips. Yeah, and like, and also like, again, if we're we're getting introduced to all these people and we don't necessarily know it at the time, but since we're taking time to devote to to introducing them like that should be an indicator that like hey these people are going to be important or at least their presence as a group is going to be important and so seeing this character who clearly has like a lot of animosity and like like we were saying is kind of a bad boy it gives us a baseline for it's like, okay, this is where he's at. He's got out of everybody on the Island or out of everybody in this new group, he's the one I think with the most room to grow. And also given his temperament, he's also the most like, Hey, we're going to have to probably keep an eye on him. You know, like anything could happen. The other reason he's one of the most interesting is he Definitely has the most interesting skill set of all these people. <laughs> in which Speaking he, of abilities. He can talk to the dead. And his flashback is very odd. Um, we see him in Inglewood, California. And he <laughs> shows up at a house. And it's this older woman's house. And he goes, oh, I need the cash in advance. Like, what room was his? And he's talking about how her son was, or grandson was murdered. And I need the cash in advance. And he goes up to the son's room. And he sets up this thing that kind of looks like a vacuum cleaner, kind of. And yeah, it's to make, like, weird if kind of machine like combination ethereal noises but also machine noises as well um and he starts he starts talking he starts talking to a presence in the room and being like you gotta you know you gotta leave your grandma alone like you gotta like where is it and he starts asking where is it 
and all of a sudden there's something moves in the room and then behind a grate he undoes this thing and there is money and drugs and he goes back down to the grandmother gives her half the money he took back because now he's got all this other money that was hidden in the house and he's like you get a refund (laughs) it wasn't as hard as i thought it was going to be and he says her grandson is at peace now now i gotta admit it's been a while and there's a lot i've kind of i think forgotten about miles but he clearly doesn't need that machine to talk to the dead like that just seems to be like uh some sort of that's set dressing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he he uses that as, I think it's partially to make it seem like his um, his process is it's more technical. Scientific, than it actually yeah. Is. Um, but also it's probably there to prevent her from hearing any direct conversation he might be having with a deceased spirit. Because he does say, no matter what you hear, don't come up there. Yeah. Um, and like having a machine there to add some additional white noise probably helps trying to keep any, any conversations, like I said, with, with spirits on the DL. And now here's the other thing. Uh, Lost obviously has always had a supernatural element to it from the get go. I, I, I distinctly remember watching this and being like, well, can he really talk to ghosts? Like, and I, I think obviously we're meant to take this at face value of like, yeah, he can definitely talk to ghosts um, directly. Um, because there was a part of me that's like, is that really an ability that he has? Or did he just kind of get lucky um, finding what he was looking for? Like, did he, did he pull a psych just now? Well, he, what's funny about him is he's, you know, almost he like Sawyer in a way. He's a bit of a con man, but he's a con man with the actual skill to do the thing. Like he's not putting on a show about talking to the dead. He can talk to the dead, but he's going to use that ability to talk to the dead to scam money from the dead, get you the know, money they left behind. You know who he is, and I don't think I necessarily had this context the first time I watched this episode, but you know who he is. He's Michael J. Fox from The Frighteners. Oh, shit, he is. <laughs> I love that movie. And I love I, it I, so much. I mean, I had seen The Frighteners when I saw Lost, but this is the first time I'm putting that together. It's because I always keep <laughs> horror movies close to my heart. So if I can pull a horror movie reference, <laughs> I will find it. Um, but yeah, that's what it, that's explicitly what it reminds me of. Although obviously, um, Miles's characterization is a lot different than Matthew J. Fox's character from The Frighteners. Like, Michael J. Fox is, a, is very much a con artist, just like Miles is. But like, I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, because it has been a couple of years, Michael J. Fox's character is also a little bit more likable than Miles is here at the outset. Yes. I mean, it's look, I saw that movie once in like 1997. So I, I don't <laughs> quite remember. You you don't revisit the Peter Jackson classic when you when you go back and rewatch other Peter Jackson films? <laughs> I you know what? I wouldn't mind revisiting that one, but I've only seen it once. It is campy as all get out, but it's fun. <laughs> um 
I believe you, you said Michael J. Fox a few times, but I think one of those times you accidentally said Matthew J. Fox. Oh, did I? <laughs> oh, I mean, you're only one. I think you said his name like three times, but only once did you say it, Matt. <laughs> I'm fair, pretty sure. There is a Matthew Fox in this show. I know. So I feel like that's, I feel like I'm allowed to have that. If you're ever going to do the slip of a tongue like that, it's on this podcast. <laughs> um, So Miles on the island's got a gun on them and he says like he's like where's naomi you killed naomi and daniel's like oh they didn't kill naomi he goes what are you talking about they used the code naomi used the code she says tell my sister i love her she doesn't have a sister that's the code of they killed me basically so he's got he's he miles is I think justifiably pissed. He thinks they killed his his shipmate. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And that's where that's where we go. Damn it, Naomi. <laughs> we thought you were cool. <laughs> but Kate says, like, we didn't kill him. A guy named John Locke, her guy named John Locke did. He's not with us anymore. This is what happened. And Miles like, well, bring me to her. And they keep trying to say, like, well, not like... He's like, just bring me to her. So, you know, they do. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Miles uh, is... I mean, apart from Hurley's vision in the previous episode, Miles is the first person where we can definitively say, since Walt, um, in this show that has abilities, right? yes yeah he, i mean he, it, oh go ahead i i mean i guess it depends on your definition of abilities but yeah i would say so yeah okay cool um particularly off island abilities yeah yeah uh because like i i don't count like the island healing factor okay. <laughs> that's a boost everybody gets pretty or much. like just like Someone being able to hear Jacob isn't an ability, per se. No, no, because Jacob Jacob could appear to anybody he wanted to appear to. And and same with the smoke monster. Like, uh, if the smoke monster passes you over, that's not because you're special. Sorry, John. It's because it chose not to kill you. Uh, <laughs> um uh, but yeah, and and I'm not. I'm also not counting hearing the whispers either, because that seems to also be sort of uh, an almost unilateral thing that happens. Any asshole could hear whispers. <laughs> only That's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> only Miles might know what they're actually whispering. Ooh. Well, Miles is talking to dead Naomi, and you know Kate's trying to talk to 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 farrah and jack's like let's see how this plays out and he gives her a wink <laughs> i mean come on kate you obviously took improv classes <laughs> when you were uh getting ready for your life of crime and and all of your your various criminal sprees well, all the character work that you do you should follow like this is the one and only time jack is telling you to yes and <laughs> roll with it now miles comes back over there and he's like oh yeah uh they were telling the truth and jack and kate seem a little like they don't ask a follow-up question but they're like huh like okay 
<laughs> that worked out for reasons. No, uh, and, let's not look a gift horse in the mouth. <laughs> and Miles is like, we're going to go now find Charlotte because they got another person they got to track. And, and there's, and Jack's like, uh-uh, we're not, uh, we're not doing anything. Like, and Miles like, I got the gun. And Jack is like, we got guns pointed at your, your head from in the jungle. And Miles is like, yeah, what do you like? What do you think? I'm an idiot. And uh, all of a sudden, Saeed fires a gun at him because, in a brief scene we saw earlier in the episode, Saeed and Juliet debate like, hmm, like was Ben telling the truth about these freighter people, or is he trying to fuck with us? Maybe we should get some guns and investigate. I actually really liked that conversation. One, uh, I feel like Saeed needs more one-on-one time with uh, different characters that he hasn't gotten to spend a lot of time with. And two, uh, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time, you know, in the previous season being like, ah, oh, Juliet, you're so withholding. Why won't you ever just say what you're thinking? And here she does just that. He's like, why would Ben say this? And she's like, because Ben is a liar. <laughs> one he's a liar or two they actually are here to mean us harm so <laughs> those are our options it's, and it's just so nice to have it like laid out like that so straightforward and it's kind of a great scene that also like explains the issue with ben like not the issue like as a character for our entertainment but the issue with like nobody knows how to handle him like they have a ben problem because you know ben's kind of right about the freighter people not necessarily about these people but kind of right about the idea of like there are people who are coming to get ben and they will kill everybody to get ben i mean the ben problem is ultimately that the characters on the island do not know what he knows and they don't know the extent of what he knows and the big problem with not knowing as much as him is that we cannot trust the information as he disseminates it. Um, so even though he does know quite a bit about the island and about its history and the people who are on the freighter and how they're coming here um, and what their intent is, the big problem is that we can't trust anything he says. <laughs> so even when he's telling the truth, it will always come with some sort of caveat. It's like, well, is that the whole truth? Or are you like, how much of what you just said is accurate? Is it one of those things where it's like, it's not technically a lie, but you're withholding so much other information that it may as well be. Exactly. So Saeed comes out of the jungle. So now they've got the upper hand on uh, Miles and uh, Daniel. And Way to go, Saeed. <laughs> they're marching through the jungle. And Saeed is like really questioning Miles. Like, you know, and, and Daniel's like being a little more open, talking like, I'm a physicist. And he's asking Miles a lot of questions. Miles got an attitude. And he's like, why aren't you more surprised if you didn't come here specifically to rescue us why aren't you more surprised that we're alive 
and Miles puts on some like fake surprise, obnoxious. Oh, you're the people from eight fifteen. Oh, I'm so shocked. <laughs> oh wow, how shocking! Oh my god, what a totally unexpected twist. And then they start getting a beeping on the thing. Charlotte is moving towards them, and she's moving fast. She's running towards them. Well, let's now talk, use this as a good jumping off point to talk about another set of people on the island, if I may. Go for it. Like I said, I will follow where you lead. Locke is moving along with his group of people. And when we first see him in the episode, he is standing in the rain, in the sun, in the rain. And they're like, what are you doing? He's like, the rain's going to stop. And then the rain stops. Locke is at one with this island at this point. And, or so he thinks. It's and, a nice, it's, it's one of those brief moments of triumph for John Locke because he's just convinced everybody in this group that he's right and that he's going to lead them to safety. You know, it's it's one of the few times he gets a cathartic sort of I told you so feeling, you know, where he gets to l- like really feel like he is in the right, where he's not wrestling with his fate. So uh, Locke is explaining that they got to make a detour. He's got to stop by a cabin. And Hurley's like, oh, the cabin's that way. And Locke's like, like, like curious, like you saw a cabin. And Hurley's like, I mean, the cabin of the airplane. But they all know at this point, Hurley has had an encounter with Jacob's cabin. Oh, poor Hurley. Just like, oh no. He tried to, like, he's, I really like the the parallels between, um, you know, the the previous storyline with uh, Daniel being a really bad liar and everything like that and being very forthcoming with information and how that's paralleled with um, John Locke's crew, with Hurley, you know, Hurley being a really bad liar <laughs> and being maybe a little bit too liberal with the information they have too. Yeah. <laughs> it happens a couple times and it's pretty great. Um, so now, you know, they're marching and Sawyer wants to know where they're getting their marching orders from. And he calls, I like that he calls him Colonel Kurtz. And then he's <laughs> like, he says, well, look, I, I, I got my orders from Walt. Walt told, told me what to do. He came to me. And he goes, it was Walt, only taller. And this has one of my favorite Sawyer lines when he goes, like a giant? You've referenced this moment so many times on this podcast. And so it, it made me really happy when we finally got here. <laughs> I, that always made me laugh when he's like, well, but taller, like a giant. <laughs> and just Ho- Josh Holloway is just so charming when he says it. Too. <laughs> she's he's, like, what are you talking about? Taller. That's why Sawyer's my favorite character because he's got, he, he says things like that. Or he's like, Oh look, my favorite leaf. Like <laughs> he's the best. He is. He is. Um, and he said, look, Ben shot me. And he lifts up his shirt and, and shows the, the wound and the exit wound. Says that Walt saved him. Also mentions that 
had he had his kidney still, he'd probably be dead. Yeah, I because that that's like the reason why this conversation is escalating is because of like you said the Ben problem, um, and it's and Sawyer brings up like this guy left you in in a pit he shot you and now you're all like walking around like i see some holes in your story and then Locke lifts up his shirt and he's like yeah you see some holes in me too um and yeah i actually i really loved the line like it probably would have killed me if i'd still had my kidney and it's just like oh that's oh that's good that's good stuff right there <laughs> finally not having a kidney came in handy um <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, the, this group kind of stops to rest for a little while. And while this is, they're resting, uh, Ben is giving Carl a lot of shit, a lot of awkward shit. Like, ah, if you're going to have sex with my daughter, like he's giving him a lot of shit. And, you know, Sawyer's Can like, I just say, poor Alex. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, well, things are going to get a lot worse for Alex. That's not inaccurate. Um, and for Carl. But <laughs> basically <laughs> like this doesn't end well for anybody involved if we're being 100% real. <laughs> and Sawyer kind of tells Carl like, "Ah, this guy's just trying to get in your head." And then of course, Ben starts giving Sawyer shit. And he's like, "You're uh He's like, oh, you know, real low life like you is not going to stand a chance with Kate when there's that surgeon around. Like, like he's really playing up the 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 Jack Kate Sawyer thing to get under Sawyer's skin. And Sawyer has had enough of this asshole. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the kind of I believe like the last time the two of them really had a one on one was uh that whole episode where he lied about putting a pacemaker in Sawyer's chest and um uh, and you know messing with the rabbit and everything like that. So when Locke like tries to step into this, Sawyer says something that is 100% correct and we understand it's correct. Um it's only a matter of time before he gets us and also that he probably already knows how he's going to do it. Like, there's no reason to keep this motherfucker alive. Yeah, uh, I mean, we mentioned so earlier that Sawyer is a con man. And uh, we've said it before on this podcast, a con man can recognize another con man. Game knows, recognizes game. Exactly. He knows just how fucking manipulative Ben can be and how conniving he is and how liberal he is with lies. So, yeah, Sawyer is 100% correct here. Uh, the, the longer we keep Ben around, the bigger the problem he's going to be. Um, but, you know, Locke wants to keep him, keep him alive because Ben knows some things about the island. He's been there long. So now we see a woman dangling from a cliff in a parachute over some water. And this is Charlotte. Now, Charlotte is, when we see her flashback, she is going to an archaeological dig in Tunisia. She also seems to be very much in disbelief 
about Flight 815, the discovery of it. Something about it doesn't seem to be sitting well with her. The woman she's with at the, going to this dig is like, how many languages do you have to read that headline in to believe it? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to the dig. She has to bribe her way into it. She really wants in there because there's something she wants to see. And they find in the middle of the Tunisian desert, the skeleton of a dead polar bear. And if you listen closely, Will, when watching this episode, you can hear the sound of Megan Salinas giving a laborious sigh. (laughs) Well, I mean, I know how that polar bear got there. It's because of time-traveling bunnies. It's because when you move... (laughs) When you move the island... It's because of time-traveling bunnies. You end up in the Tunisian desert. It's because of time-traveling bunnies. And it makes me sad. The polar (laughs) bear. Mostly angry. But that's not... You don't find... Okay, the first time you watched it, did that make you angry? Like, or did you be, or were you like, how did this get here? Like, this is fascinating. I I think I was annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I was very much like polar bear in the desert. That's perfect. We're, and it's not a we're dharma. still on about the polar bears. Why are we still talking about the polar bears? They mean nothing. <laughs> the polar bears, they did experiments on the polar bears. And they sent them back in time, like tri- time-traveling buddies. I hate this show so much. They sent the polar bear to the... the I, I don't think, in all seriousness, I don't think the polar bear has to do with time travel. I Well, they said it was super old, didn't they? Didn't they say it was like thousands of years old? They didn't say it was thousands of years old. during our next recording and we will we will definitively I'm not going to rewatch it right now (laughs) I'm pretty sure they said that this was super old well it can't can't be because it had a dharma collar on it well that's that's what I'm saying is that like I think this polar bear traveled in time and ended up in the desert now well then maybe I stand corrected I, like I said, I think they said it was super old, and that's why she really smiled when she saw the Dharma Initiative caller. Okay. Um, she was like, Wait, ah, but you know what? Okay. Now. I think it's a combination. I can't believe I gotta. We gotta go over this. <laughs> I think because here's the thing. I can't believe it. This is a recap podcast. No, 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 no. I can't believe it because it's like I've seen the series and I can't remember. But I think what it is, and somebody listening to this is screaming like, you idiots, it's this. But Matt, I, we, appreciate, we appreciate you listening. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. But the, I, the island moves through time. So it's not necessarily that the polar bear traveled through time. It could be that the polar bear 
was already back in time with the island when it was sent. So technically, is that time travel to get to the desert? I don't think that's technically time travel to get to the desert, but it is from the past. Does that make sense? I think you it's can just say time traveling bunnies. I, th- <laughs> I think it's a beautiful mystery. Sure. Although I will say, you know what I what I do like about this particular moment? I do like that when she's looking at the Dharma Initiative collar, I like the symbol on it. I like that it's a hydra. Yes. Um, Hail Hydra. I, <laughs> exactly. That's that's why I like it. Um again, look. This isn't bad, especially, and, and again, like I said, I would need to sit down and rewatch the scene to say whether or not for sure it's been there for thousands of years or not. Please, I don't need anybody well actually me on Twitter. We'll talk about it next week. I just don't want to rewatch it. I don't want to pause the podcast so we can sit down and rewatch it <laughs> to say well, definitively. Um, we'll talk about it next next time. But I will say, again, just like with Daniel Faraday earlier in the episode and with him having this emotional reaction and not understanding why, what this episode is doing, um, if indeed the polar bear remains are thousands of years old, what this episode is doing is priming us for another time travel adventure, which is exactly what we're going to get in a couple episodes. However, I... the. The reason it frustrates me is, Will, as we've discussed on this podcast before, the polar bears in general are frustrating. And you've known (laughs) since the start of this podcast that time traveling bunnies is my least favorite thing about this show. (laughs) So, or specifically, time traveling bunnies is the moment I legitimately felt uh, like that. That was the definitive moment where I felt like I was watching a bad show was when I heard the line time traveling bunnies. Um, so it's not so much that this is bad. It's it's more that it reminds me of, oh, yeah, we're coming up to that moment where I knew I was watching a show I didn't like anymore. Well, Charlotte is dangling. <laughs> Back to the recap. <laughs> and she, like, unhooks herself, lands in the water. She seems pretty happy to be there. And then she looks. I don't know about you, but, like, I would be terrified in her position. Like, how, how do you know how deep that is? But, yeah, she seems pretty. She was like, yeah, that was cool. Well, Charlotte's been on the island before. I completely forgot about that. As a child. Did, yeah. Did, was she born on the island or was she just there on the island? Well, I believe she came to the island at a certain point. I believe she came with uh, the Dharma Initiative. I, I'll be honest, out of all of the freighter crew, Charlotte's the one I remember the least about. <laughs> um 
Because they say in the episode that she was born in England, but I can't remember whether that's a lie or not. But she was on the island as a child. Um. So yeah, yeah she 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 knows she knows the area then. Um. So Charlotte comes out of the water, and who does she see? John Locke standing there. Not the guy you ever want to see when you get out of the water. Not the guy you ever want to see when you turn a corner in this island. Goodness, no. Um, And she's talking to everybody and she's asking everybody questions. I think legitimately. Um, yeah, no, she's not. She's not being all super socially awkward like Daniel and asking, you know, and being like really obvious and sketch, she's asking questions that like any any normal person would ask, you know. And then Locke starts asking her questions, and it basically comes out to he's like, "Well, we gotta go," and she goes, "Why? Like we should wait here. I've got like my transponder thing. They're gonna come." And he's like, "Well, we don't want to be found." So, back to our buddies, uh, Miles and all of them. There they see Charlotte is fast approaching, and you're watching this, and you're like, did Charlotte run from them? Did she run she from She must Locke? have made a break for it. She yeah. must have made a break for it, but no. They had tied the transponder to Vincent. This poor dog. I was going to say, I- what was the plan here? Like... I'm so upset with them for that. Because, like, you could have achieved the same effect by just leaving it where it was. I, I mean, I I guess the idea is to, to throw up, like, not knowing where her companions were. You want to throw them off as much as possible. But, like, how dare you? Can I just say, how dare you use well, Vincent like this? How dare you use that good, good boy? <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny because it's like they're just letting Vincent roam wild now. And Vincent is, you know, Vincent's going to be traveling through time on this island for years. Basically, like a lot, I think, on his own. This is the point where everyone on the island stops even attempting to take care of Vincent. (laughs) Well, I, I believe Rose and Bernard will eventually take care of him. I hope so. I hope they take him in because Hurley has just abandoned him. <laughs> um. So now there is one other person to talk about from the freighter crew, from the freighter folks. And that's my favorite of them. Da-da-da-da-da-da, Lapidus. <laughs> yeah, Frank Lapidus, who's like... Yeah, of anyone, he's like a character out of like some like Magnum PI thing. Not that he's a detective or something, but he's like he wears Hawaiian shirts and he's like he's got quips and he's always like he's smart but he's rough and he's you know he's he's Lapidus. He's Lapidus. He's the best. <laughs> um, I, I think again, even even when lost, um, 
even when Lost loses its way, uh, a lot of its characters really do still shine through, even through the lowest points. And Lapidus, I think, is one of those characters that regardless of what's actually happening in the show, he shines through. And he's played by everybody's favorite lawnmower man, Jeff Fahey. Is that the same actor? Oh, yeah, that's the lawnmower man. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um... <laughs> So Lapidus, um, we see him in a flashback. He's, you know, he seems to be living his best life in the Bahamas, drinking and having a blast. Yeah, what do I have to do to have Lapidus problems, man? Right? Um, so what ends up happening is uh, Lapidus is watching the news. And they're showing some extremely graphic footage of Flight 815. Yeah, and, and then, like, during one of the other flashbacks, too, you even hear, like, a viewer discretion advice. <laughs> there are going to be some graphic depictions here. Please, you know, look away. Let's face it. These depictions are so graphic, they would never actually show them. They oh, would never... no way. But it's a good thing they do because they show the decomposing body of pilot Seth Norris, a.k.a. Greg Grunberg, um, decomposing under the sea. But Lapidus notices something about his buddy Seth. They're straight up like on, on the news saying, this is the body of the pilot. And they have a picture of him and everything. And I'm like, I don't know what like unless this was like happening live i like there's no way they'd be showing this right <laughs> but there's... i guess they, they really wanted to hammer home this cover-up i guess and but lapidus sees through it because lapidus is like no no no, i know that guy like he's would have worn his wedding ring and they're like well the ring might have fallen off because he calls you know the oceanic hotline and he goes no 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 He's like, I know it's not him. And they're like, how do you know? He's like, because I was supposed to be flying Flight 815. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, (laughs) I mean, to be fair, the guy could have been having an affair. (laughs) Look, there could be lots of reasons he didn't have an affair. No, but I mean, what's being established here is that Lapidus knew this guy. He knew him well enough to know that he would never take off his wedding ring. I'd Um, recognize that decomposing corpse anywhere. (laughs) And that is not him. (laughs) Um, So this is the team. And there's one more flashback, and might as well say it now, where it's like presented these four people, the pilot, the archaeologist, the physicist, and the guy who could talk to ghosts, this is the team, and we see, oh my god, I can never pronounce his name, Matthew Abagdagnon. <laughs> I don't know what it is, because I'm not looking at it, but I know that wasn't even close. <laughs> it's like a um, biblical reference, I believe. But, but uh, the Lance but Reddick it, character, who visited Hurley in the hospital the week before. Exactly. So if we watched the previous episode, we would recognize him immediately. And he's showing Naomi, like, this is your team. You got to keep these people alive. And Naomi's like, I'll try. Little does Naomi know, she'll be the one who's dead. 
That is kind of funny. Um, although I will say uh, it's interesting uh, because it's, one, it's not often that we get flashbacks from multiple characters' point of view. Um, usually that only happens with, like, Sun and Jin episodes. And then I think it happened once with a Michael flashback where we got a flashback um, to a scene where he wasn't there for it. Um so yeah, it's it's interesting that we have like this entire episode devoted to flashbacks for multiple different characters, and in this particular case, a character who is also no longer with us. So, back on the island, Frank Lapidus he climbs up some cliff. He sees a cow, <laughs> and then he fires off a flare. So our friends uh, with, uh, you know, Jack, they end up coming to where that flare is. They end up finding Lapidus. And Miles is like, Lapidus, where did the chopper crash? And he's like, what kind of pilot do you think I am? He's like, I landed it safely over there. And they... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. And they run and they see the, the, the... helicopter and you know in jack and and kate and saeed's eyes it's like this is how we escape this is how we finally go home this is the first time in basically the the entirety of the series where there is an actual licensed pilot on the island and an immediate um an immediate source of air transportation as well. Like Jack doesn't count. Cause like he took a couple piloting classes, but he never actually got his piloting license. Cause he decided it wasn't for him. Um, but yeah, this is the first time we have a pilot on the Island and a, a motorized flying vehicle. This is fantastic. <laughs> and you got the best, not just a pilot. You got the best damn pilot in the business. Frank Lapidus. <laughs> I feel like there should be a guitar sting every time we say his name. Oh man, he's the ba- he's the coolest Lapidus. <laughs> um, so cool. And so, you know, they're at the the helicopter, and you know, Saeed's checking it out, and he's like, "Yeah, it'll be able to fly." And and uh, you know, Miles is like, "Hey, give me the sat phone so I could call." And uh, and, you know, there's this, Jack's like, well, why are you here? And he's like, give me the sat phone. And Saeed kind of gives Jack the, like, give him the sat phone. And Miles gets the sat phone. And, uh, you know, he he talks on it. And he wants to talk to George. He can't come to the phone right now. Sorry. You'll have to call back later. And the voice on the other <laughs> line there telling him that is uh, played by... Uh, Zoe Bell, who will pop up later, the great stunt woman. Uh, you may remember her from riding on the hood of the car in Death Proof. Oh, damn. I will remember her as someone in the before times that I was at a party. Uh, she was there. We were both at the bar. She ordered a very strange drink that she <laughs> knew was very, um, that she was very skeptical about. The bartender made it for her, gave it to her. I was like, that's a weird drink. And she sipped and she's like, it's pretty good. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, have some. 
she let this total stranger sip from her beverage. <laughs> and thinking, like, that is a true pre-COVID experience. <laughs> it really is. But also, dude, you got to share a drink with somebody who was in Lost. That's pretty she, cool. And she's, she, I talked to her for a little bit. She's, she's awesome. She's great. She would not remember talking to me at this bar, but she's fucking fantastic. That's awesome. Um, anyway, point is, uh, Daniel wants to bring Naomi's dead body back on the chopper, and Miles is like, that's just a bag of flesh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> or no, not a bag of flesh, like, like a bag of meat. meat. It's just, like, just meat. It's just meat. Yeah, that's yeah. not Naomi. It's just meat. Which is, is like, I get that somebody who could talk to the dead would feel that way. Yeah, it makes sense. Also, like, one, he can talk to the dead, and two, it's been it's been presented very clearly that he's not exactly the most sensitive individual to be, the, not the most considerate to other people's feelings, um, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, but what this does show us is that, like, I, I think we could also probably just infer it from you know, every scene that we've had with Daniel so far that he's, he's a decent dude. Like we, we still don't fully understand the motives of the people on the freighter, but Daniel seems like a decent fellow. Daniel is a good guy overall. Um, so, you know, they're, they're talking about this and Frank's like, yeah, we don't have the, we don't have, we'll take her on another run. We don't have the space. Uh, we don't, and, we don't have for the weight because of the fuel that was wasted, you know. And in a really sweet moment, because again, Daniel looks so saddened by this, you know, fact, Lapidus promises him. He's like, hey, I promise I'll come back. You know, well, we'll come back on our second run. Like, hey, this is, this is a thing that's going to happen. You don't have to worry about it. It's going to be okay. A Lapidus promise you could take to the bank. Exactly. <laughs> All the way to the bank. So, Lapidus is talking to Juliet, and he's like, he's talking to her, he goes, oh, what's your, what's, what's your name? And she goes, oh, Juliet. And Lapidus right away knows there's no Juliet. And he's like, oh, what's your last name? Yeah. He's like, there's, a, there's no Juliet on this, uh, was on the manifest. He knows immediately. He has that thing memorized, and he lets Miles know. He goes, she wasn't on the plane. Like, oh, she's a native. And there's this very tense moment. And Miles is like, well, you want to know why we're here? We're here for Benjamin Linus. And there's a great weird photo <laughs> of Ben. <laughs> like an old photo of Ben by an old computer. It's a very strange photo. I love it. <laughs> it's it's a very bizarre thing, but um, I really love the moment here when Lapidus calls out Juliet. He's like, "There's no Juliet Burke on the manifest. I have the manifest memorized, and there's no Juliet Burke on there." And when it cuts back to Juliet, she her face completely stone faced, like um. Her, she gives that classic Juliet, my face is giving away absolutely nothing in this moment. And you know what? That face really annoyed the hell out of me in season three. But here, it's awesome. Like, it's because again, you don't, we don't know what these people are about. We don't know what, what they're doing. So this moment where he calls her out and, and she just 
Yeah, exactly. And let me tell you what, that face is also the perfect reason why she is the perfect match for Sawyer. <laughs> because, like, she's got a poker face and she, like, Sawyer's tricks wouldn't work on her. But, like, they might. But she can con they, him into being a good him. man. Yeah, it's like, it's it's perfect. Um, <laughs> so now... Let's go to the other group of people who saw Lapidus's flair. Like I said, this were a little all over the place. Maybe this wasn't the best way to break it down. I think it's, it's going okay. okay. It's okay. We're we're gonna go back to our standard formula, I'm sure, uh, in the next episode. So this is a unique episode in the bunch of things. So uh, I'm sure there are gonna be a couple episodes from now until the end of the series where, again, Lost will play with the format a little bit. So we're just gonna roll with these punches. So, the other, Locke's group sees the flare, and Charlotte's like, hey, we should go to the flare. And Locke's like, no, we're not going to do that. And a bunch of the people are like, maybe we should go to the flare. And then, Ben gets a gun and shoots Charlotte in the chest. This made me so angry i'm just sitting here going who who was in charge of keeping eyes on this asshole <laughs> who allowed this to happen and then of course carl looks to where his gun it was supposed to be and it's gone it's like carl um luckily charlotte is wearing a bulletproof vest uh because when you're going after ben linus you should always wear a bulletproof vest lock should have known and uh, honestly, given given like you know the the track record of characters who aren't in the main ensemble cast on this island, coming to this island with a bulletproof vest is probably like that's what everyone should that that should be standard procedure if you're not For a main. Everyone on the island. <laughs> that's very true, even for main characters, because John was just shot not that long ago. Um. And Sawyer's basically like, see, I was right. We should kill Ben. And Locke's like, you know what? You were right. Locke admits to making a mistake. James, when you're right, you're right. <laughs> and Locke's like going to take on the responsibility. I'm going to shoot Ben. And he's, you know, he's he tells Alex, like, you should get Alex. Alex doesn't want her father to get you. Because even though Ben's a piece of shit, she loves him. It's her father figure. Yeah, he's still her dad. And um, Ben's basically like, I'll tell you things about the island. And Locke goes, what is the monster? And Ben's like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know so much about this island. Okay, well, what's the smoke monster? Uh, well, can we circle back to that one? <laughs> and then Ben's like, He's like, I got to just start spouting facts. And he's like, Charlotte Lewis. Like, he says everything about her. And he says that she's come to this island with Miles and Daniel and and uh, Lapidus. And he's like, they've come here because they want me. And Locke's like, how do you know this? And he says, I have a man on their boat. Dun, dun, dun. Yep, 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 yep. And that's the episode. You you know who the man on the boat is. You remember that. I right? don't remember. 
Well, then my you know memory, what? I won't. I won't say. So then you're surprised. My memory of seasons four, five, and six is spotty at best. There are even a couple episodes in season five and season six that I straight up, I think I didn't actually get to see um, because of uh, a combination of classes and just general unavailability. Um, Cause like the, the final season aired the year I graduated college. And I definitely remember that being like a turbulent time. Like the first epi- the first couple months um after college, I was living in an apartment that did not have cable. So I I had to like catch up on Hulu. Um, and after a while, Hulu kind of dumped a handful of episodes. So there were a couple episodes in that final season that I didn't get to see. Um, Megan, so like, Megan, yeah. no excuse. <laughs> it's been 10 years since <laughs> 10 plus years since the show ended. Like, I've got no excuses. I get it. I get it. Point being, I've got some, the combination of my terrible memory and the the fact that I straight up missed some episodes. <laughs> like, well, I don't remember who the man on the boat is. I assume it's that mercenary. No, that's not the mercenary dude who's a, a jerk. Um, you will find out. Don't, don't, don't. Try to think. Don't guess. <laughs> Don't guess. guess. Just, just go. Just go with it. Okay. Okay. So he's got a man on the boat. Gotcha. Um. So Megan, now we get to that time of where I ask a very important question. Let's start with the negative. Who's uh, Who's your man in black for this episode? <sighs> See, my man in black would be the polar bear. Uh, but again, that's there's nothing wrong with it in this episode, just on its own. So I feel bad giving it to that um but there's also not a a ton of other things wrong quote unquote with this episode like i liked this episode its pacing was good its directing was good its writing was good the acting was really good um if i were to give it to anything it would be uh that like no one in their right mind after everything he's done would leave Ben unsupervised. So I'll, I'll give it to the fact that nobody was keeping an eye on Ben when they definitely should have. And I'm going to give it also to a Ben related thing. Um, And you know, maybe this probably didn't bug me at the time and maybe I'm being hard on this plot line just because I know how the series plays out. But you know, using the the Kate Jack love triangle thing to get under Sawyer's skin and that it really works on Sawyer is a bit like, okay, we've been there, we've done that. Like, is it really, is that really uh, going to work? Yeah. Yeah. I um, think that, I, Will, I will always agree about not caring for aspects of this love triangle. <laughs> So I, I I fully support you picking this as your man in black. Um, then what's your Jacob? Um, I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to give it to the introduction of Lapidus <laughs> uh, and how great he is. But um, it's hard to pick out a single thing about this episode because it's all really good. Um, Mine is going to be kind of general because of that very reason. Like, uh, you know what? I, I kind of 
I, it's not the first time I'll have wanted wanted to give it to the structure of this episode, but I want to give it to the structure of this episode because not very many lost episodes delve into the flashbacks of multiple characters and giving us all of these different flashbacks functions as presenting these guys not only as a unit but also doing a lot of heavy lifting in a short amount of time okay uh, not to cut you off there but that's basically mine what i've written down and i specifically i specifically said the time thing because they they are able to introduce these freighter characters as characters we completely understand so quickly it's very like I think it's it's very impressive. All right, you can have the structure of the episode then, and I'll make my man in white Lapidus. <laughs> yeah, you you specifically can take Lapidus. <laughs> you get the the story structure. I'll take Lapidus. It's yeah. I had written down this intro to the freighter folks, like, and I had written the word time and circled it on my pad here because that's that like they they're very efficient. It's a very efficient way to introduce people. Yeah, there's a lot to be said for economy of storytelling. Um, I don't know if you you get into this problem when you're writing stuff, but when I'm writing stuff, I have a tendency to like kind of go on uh, and on about like stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> Where I'm like, it's flavor text, and it's like, no, you're just you're just ruining the pacing of the thing that you're <laughs> working on. So you really do have to give them credit for being able to do so much in such a short amount of time without it feeling rushed, you know. So Megan, not to rush you, but <laughs> where can the people find you? Uh, you guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T H E M E N G U I N. I am. I also have a YouTube channel called Silver Screams, where me and my co-host Katie talk about horror things, and I am a member of Rooster Team Radio, where me and my co-host talk about Rooster Team related productions. So go check those out. And you can follow me on Twitter at the Real Will Link, and you can buy my book Crazy About Kurt. Uh, it's a novel about teenagers in the '90s. You can buy that on Amazon, and of course, as Megan said earlier. You can follow us at No Love Lost Pod on Twitter. <laughs> Indeed. Do it. Do it. So until next time, see you in another life, brother. Hey there, everybody. I'm Will Link of No Love Lost. With me as always... Megan Salinas. Hey, everybody. And we're here to talk to you about the podcast Jukebox, a DIY podcast network. Uh, yeah, the podcast Jukebox Network has been super supportive of us as we venture back to the island. Uh, and so we just wanted to take a minute to thank uh, them and to let you guys know that you guys should be supporting the other podcast put on by this fantastic network. If you are enjoying No Love Lost, definitely give a listen to many of the other podcasts, far, many of which are far less vanilla than we are. Uh <laughs> Uh, uh, Off the Cuffs, which is kind of the flagship show of the network. It is the BDSM kink podcast that kind of launched this whole network uh, off. 
You've got the Goth Librarian podcast. You have Being There podcast, a great storytelling podcast. You have the Queers Next Door, also on the network. Uh, Proud to be Kinky. Uh, Drinks with God. And a little podcast that's close to my heart, Megan. What is that one called? Will Sean Podcast? Yeah. Will Hmm. he? Oh, no. Spoiler alert. Uh, Not as frequently as usual. (laughs) But you should definitely subscribe to all these shows, rate them, listen to them on iTunes. Yeah, definitely. Uh, These are all fantastic storytellers. It's so important to be sex positive. So go support these other podcasts. And uh, yeah, if you like us, you might like them. Who knows? Yeah. (laughs) It makes sense. We're on the same network. (laughs) So yes, rate and subscribe to all these terrific shows. And don't forget to rate them all five stars. And also rate us five stars. Yeah, while you're at it, you're listening to us, might as well give us a rating. (laughs) You're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, guys.